0: We hope you enjoy this message recorded at Equipus Church, Deni. For more information, please visit equipuschurch.com. Basically, this is that God wants to do something in us that has impact outside of us. Right? That's how God works. Would be so much better, wouldn't it, if God just fixed everything outside? (laughs) Yeah, and just if we could just live in a perfect world where nothing went wrong, that would be much better, wouldn't it? Part of you believes that, right? Part of you wishes that was the Gospel, right? But the actual Gospel is not that. The actual Gospel is that God transforms us on the inside, which is not romantic or special. It's painful and stretching and difficult, right? And then out of that, God's able to do exceedingly, abundantly, far over above. That we need to be full and it's the overflow that has the impact. Amen? Yeah? And so I want to talk about this. And um, and I was, um, when I was thinking about it, I was reminded of this time. We had this car. How many people have ever had a car like this? Um, I, it, my dad wasn't using it, so he said I could use it. Right? It wasn't a car I would have chosen. It was a Volvo. Right? So, okay, I'm about to say some things about Volvos that may offend you, sir. Right? So if, if I could just apologise beforehand and then carry on with my story. The thing about... The thing about cars from Europe is that they're stupid, right? First thing you notice is that the um, indicator is on the wrong side. So every time you go to turn a corner, you let the rest of the world know that you're about to turn the corner by turning your wind wipers on, right? So if you are driving around and there's a European cars on the road, uh, just watch out for people who are approaching a roundabout in a, on a dry day. Like to, the day's like today. And if they've got their window wipers on, they're going to be going left or right. You don't know for sure, right? What it, what it actually is is if, if, if the wind wipers are going fast, that means they're turning right. And if the wind wipers are just going once, that means they've just gone the other way, so that's just a little mist, right? So you have to just notice the windwapers and notice how fast. That's, okay, so that's, a, that's the first bit of stupid. The other thing that's stupid about European cars is that they break down constantly and expensively, yeah. right? Like, they don't just break down, they break down things like, you go in and they say, yeah, there's such and such a solenoid or the what's-a-woozer, uh, and we're gonna have to rebuild, they use words like, we're gonna have to rebuild the gearbox again, right? they that's the key word is again. That's the thing, right? We're going to have to rebuild the gearbox again, right? And so this Volvo had had its gearbox rebuilt one time at a mere $6,000. And my dad wasn't using it much. He said, you can use the car, right? And so everywhere you drove it, um, alarming lights would shine up on the dashboard. <laughs> really alarming lights. You know, all sorts of different ones. They mean all sorts of different things. You know, there's one with a, 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 just a picture of an, a broken engine. Just like a, broken ah, broke an engine. You know, uh, you know other ones with like, like a windy, coily line and all these different sort of lights. And apparently they all mean different things, but maybe in another language. Maybe in Swedish, these, these symbols meant something. There was, one, there was one of a car going off a cliff <laughs> and bursting into flames with a, with a fighter jet shooting at it. Um, it was all very alarming. And so you used to drive around in, in quite a state of excitement you know, hoping that you'd get to your destination. It was very comfortable, lovely leather seats and beautiful stereo, but alarming lights and it used to break down all the time. And so anyway, I was racing from point A to point B. Do do you ever do this? You've got, yes, it's a half hour drive until you have 20 minutes to do it and you've dropped someone off here, a small child here. If you have too many children, you know exactly what this is like. Uh, If you have, how many people have got one child, beginners, one children in your family? Two, two children's, who are the two children's people? Yeah. Um, how many people got? Three or more. Yeah, three or more. This is how it works with families. We're not going to go beyond that because the storms will just be showing off. But the, um, <laughs> uh, this may be true. I know there's some large families in Mosgiel as well may be true out there as well. This is how it works. One or two children is like rugby league, right? It sort of makes sense. Still, it's still tough, Still tough, but it makes sense. But once you've got to three or more, it's rugby union where no one knows what's going on. It's complete chaos, right? And it's mostly about refereeing, right? And so uh, we have lots of children. So I was dropping one here, picking up one there, and then had to get back into church for a meeting. If you're a pastor, you do lots of, I've got to go to a meeting. And it's like a catch-all phrase for another thing. You know, some of them are great meetings, and some of them I've got to go to a meeting. And it's the tone of voice that communicates to your wife what sort of meeting it is, okay? So I was racing back into the city for a meeting, so, i.e. a good fun one, right? Uh, there, if it's got music at the start, it's a good meeting. That's, this is the rule for pastors. If there's music at the start, it's going to be good. If there's no music and just a couple of people and you're... Yeah, anyway, moving on. So I was racing to the meeting and um, as I was racing there, the car broke down, stopped going. And all the lights were on, the alarming thing, pulled over to the side and then I had to ring my wife who's dropping another child somewhere else and she had to come and pick me up and then get me to the meeting where I was running late. So I was at the meeting. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I put, a, I put a cheerful face on most things. And so I was chatting away about it, you know, blew and car, breaking down, rawr, 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 you know. And then the other blokes were like, yeah, yeah, Volvo's, you know, European stupid gearboxes, right, 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 that. That sort of conversation. And my 11-year-old daughter, Madeline, she was 11 at the time. Uh, she's now 17. And so she just said, she was listening into this conversation of, blokes talking about cars in a way that it sounded like they maybe knew what they're talking about but if you knew what you were talking about you'd know that they didn't. Uh, and she said this, don't you think you just ran out of petrol? <laughs> and then I was thinking about the lights on the dashboard and I was thinking about the various different ones and there, there definitely was that one. You know that, were, <laughs> that, that was definitely one of the ones and I, and I thought to myself I think that's been on for a while now. Uh, And, uh, yeah, so it turned out to be an easy fix. We put some petrol in and it was fine. (laughs) And, and, And I think there's something true in this story, which is what life is like. Sometimes we get very alarmed, right? Things aren't working, but actually if you put some petrol in, it would go better. Like I said, turn up. Turn up at church each week and you're unlikely to run out of petrol, Right? Right, yes, there's all sorts of things that go wrong in life, right? There are all sorts of things that go wrong. We haven't got time to talk about all the things that go wrong in life. But if there's a couple of hundred people here, there's a couple of hundred different things that will go wrong this week, okay? Right, including the -the off-the-cliff burst Bursting flames, firefighter. That that happens, right? But you know, oftentimes something really basic can look like a really big thing, and we're not living the life God's called us to, or the life that we want to live, or the life where there's a sense of flow, a sense of meaning, a sense of purpose, because we're empty. We're just empty. So there's a story in the Bible that I want us to read and it's from John chapter 2, verses 1 and it goes right through to 11. And this is the story of the wedding at Cana. So I'm gonna read it from the screen. So just apologies, I'm turning my head like that, but uh, that saves me misquoting Scripture. It says this, There was a wedding in Cana, in the town of Cana. It's a little village, the country of Galilee. The mother of Jesus was there, that's Mary, and Jesus and His followers were asked to come to the wedding. They were invited. When the wine was all gone... The mother of Jesus said to him, they have no more wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what is that to you and me? It's not time for me to work yet. Incidentally, I was at a wedding and it was my brother-in-law's wedding. Uh, And so I was like boyfriend of the younger sister type person at the wedding. So IE. Not particularly useful, right? I was just there. Uh, and it was a Baptist wedding, right? So it's not the same as this wedding because they didn't run out of wine. They ran out of fizzy drink, right? And so they ran out of fizzy drink, like all good Baptists. Uh, they'd run out of fizzy drink and my, na- my soon-to-be mother-in-law came to me and she said to me, we've run out of fizzy drink. And it crossed my mind, the thought crossed my mind, this would be an amazing opportunity <laughs> to say to her, woman, <laughs> what is that to you and me? Uh, and um, uh, she was a biblical scholar, so she would have got the reference, uh, but I don't know whether she would have appreciated the joke at the time. So I just said, okay, I'll give me some cash and I'll shoot up to the pack and save, uh, right? Less miraculous, but still a solution, okay? <laughs> um, and so his mother said, it seems like Jesus' mother Mary just ignored that statement from Jesus. His mother said to the helpers, that was the team, do whatever he says. Um, it, then it says that six stone water jars were there and each one held about, <laughs> this is a, this is unhelpful, one and a half barrels of water. So uh, it says somewhere, another translation, it says they, they held like 60 to 80 gallons. Not very helpful either, because what is a gallon? Uh, a gallon is three and a half litres. So let's go... Uh, Jason, you're up. Uh, Sixty. Let's go. Eighty liters times three and a half. Three hundred. Thanks, thanks, Tammy. Sorry, you're fired, Jason. Tammy, so, so three hundred liters times six jars. Eighteen hundred liters. So the jars there held eighteen hundred liters. Forget about how many barrels there were. We don't. We don't use the term. We don't use that as a metric much <laughs> anymore. Right. Uh, these water jars were used in the Jewish worship of washing. So that's the ceremonial washing, hand washing they would use as they came into the gathering space. Okay, so just let me translate this for you. These were hand basins. Okay, so that's what they are. So it's, it's, it's quite nice to think of the ceremony. These are, if you go to a synagogue now, they don't have big jars of water. Do you know what they have? Hand basins, right? Because we do have taps now. Uh, this is what Jesus says moving on. No, I've got the button, so I'll move on. Jesus said, uh, take some out. Hold on, take this back. These water jars were used in the Jew- Jewish worship of washing. Okay, there's a f- slide missing, so, but I'll fill you in, I've read this story before. The... um. But Jesus says to them, fill up all the jars, right? So they have to fill up all the jars, right? Does that make sense, right? Now, when this situation happened to me, I had to race down to pack and save, right? These guys didn't have that opportunity because when the wine ran out, they had to order more wine from the wine producers. I don't know if you've made wine. Have you ever made wine before? It doesn't, it's not the sort of thing you quickly whip up, right? It takes, takes a little bit of time, right? And so someone actually had made an error because if you run out of food or whatever at a wedding, you miscalculated how much you needed, right? So someone makes an error, but it's, it's hard to fix. Impossible, it's actually impossible for them to fix. Have you ever made... Anyway, moving on, they make someone makes an error that's impossible to fix, and then Jesus says, "Fill up the jars with water. Fill up the water jars, right?" And so, um, if you Google, you can actually find photographs from the eighteen hundreds of the well at Cana, right? And so, it's not like a, don't, it's not like a wishing well with a bucket. Right? It's actually like a, a big hole in the ground that, with steps that you walk down into a depression in the earth and then you fill up a container and then you walk back up. Right. So let's say you fill up, maybe you can carry a bucket in each hand and you fill up a bucket, fill up a bucket, and then you walk back up the stairs and then you have to go back to the village where the gathering is and then you pour your buckets into the big jars. Right? And we have on good authority that there was 1,800 litre capacity. That you have to fill up. That's, just so you know, that's 1,800 litres, right? So that's 180 trips with two five-litre buckets, okay? And Jesus said, fill up the jars. So they did, All right? They fill up the jars and they filled up the jars, right? So just between Jesus saying, fill up the jars and they did, someone did 180 trips with two buckets, between the village well and the jars. Okay. In the meantime, the wine server's like, don't worry, we'll be with you soon. We'll be with you soon. We'll be with you soon. Right, so the front of house team were working, but the back of the house team were working as well, right? <laughs> right, so then Jesus says, once they'd filled up the jars, uh, then He said, take some out and give it to the head man. So that's the master of ceremonies who's running the wedding. Um, and, and they took some to him and the head man tasted the water that had now become wine. So they filled the jars up with water, they drew out some water, they took it to the head man, and he didn't know where it had come from. But the helpers who took it to him knew where it had come from. Where had it come from? The hand basins. So pretty ordinary location, right? Where did it come from? The hand basin. He didn't know. And he said, everyone normally puts out the best wine first. And after people are sozzled, he puts out the wine that is no good. You've kept the good wine until now. This was the first powerful work that Jesus did. It's a really interesting miracle, this one, for a bunch of reasons. Number one, it's, it's the first miracle that Jesus did, right? And when we think about the way the Gospels are written, Matthew, Mark and Luke, have you read those ones? Okay, so people are like, mm. yeah, have a read of those one time when you've got some spare time. Matthew, Mark and Luke, tell they're called the Synoptic Gospels. They give us an overview, a bit of a chronological plan of what Jesus' life and ministry was. Well, the Gospel of John's really different. Have you read that? You'll notice it's really different. And what John does, he starts with a creation story, the same as Genesis chapter 1, and then he writes out these miracles. So he writes about seven different miracles. This is the first one. And then he does seven different sermons. Right? So it's a, it's a totally different book. It's very theological and, 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 and spiritual, Right, where the other ones are telling great stories and they're also really important, but this is different. And what John does with this one, he's telling the first miracle. And those of you who are interested, the way the Bible works is the first thing of anything is the pattern for the other things. Right. The thing that God does first is the pattern for how God does the things, right? So it begins with the creation story. How does God create the world? He spoke, right? And then the Word becomes the centre of our faith right through to the point when Jesus comes, Jesus was actually referred to as the Word of God Himself, right? Because that's how it works. So this story is about how God, it's not a story about a wedding at Cana. This is a story about how God does miracles, Right? This, that's, the bigger picture is that this is not, this was a story, is a story about a wedding? Well, was that? But now it's a pattern for how God does miracles. John finishes his book, when he writes the Gospel, he finishes his book by saying if he was to write down all of the stories about Jesus, there wouldn't be room enough in all the servers for Wikipedia to contain all the stories, right, of what Jesus did, um, but so He's chosen, these ones really carefully, and this one's chosen specifically to show us a pattern of how God does miracles, right? And this is how the pattern works. It starts like this. It starts off by doing what He says. So when they ran out of wine, why did they run out of wine? Because somebody didn't order enough. Why did things go wrong in our life? Why? It's because of the government. It's because of my mum and dad. And it's because of the neighbours. No, the reason things go wrong in your life is because you make errors that are uncorrectable. Oh, but it's everybody else. It's not helpful if you blame everybody else. Have you noticed that? I've been doing this for a long, long time, blaming everybody else. Do you know what? You never get to, you never get to a solution. When you find it, once you realise that, the the only thing I should be focusing on is what are the correctable errors and what are the uncorrectable errors that I'm making, then you're in a position where you can move forward. As long as you're still blaming somebody, I'll just say this, I don't know anyone's personal circumstances, so I'll just say this, and you can't be offended because I'm ignorant, okay? If you're still blaming somebody else, Right? If you're still blaming someone else for the mistake, for the circumstance, for the situation, you'll never find a solution. Right? I'm not saying it's not their fault. I'm just saying that if you keep blaming them, you'll never find a solution. Right? The solutions are on the other end of going, "Ooh, I've made an uncorrectable area. What do I do now?" And this is what you do. First thing you do is you do what he says. That's why I said you turn up a church every Sunday. Why? Do you know what the Bible says? It says turn up a church every Sunday. It's in the Book of Hebrews. People stopped turning up at church at the time the book of Hebrews was written. People weren't turning up. Do you know why they weren't turning up? Because when they turned up, people would find out they were Christians and then they would kill them. It's a pretty good reason not to turn up at church. Sometimes I don't turn up at church because the kids are a bit of a, bit of a hassle, right? These people were not turning up at church because it meant they might die, right? When, when, when the guy who wrote Hebrews, it's possibly possible, When he wrote Hebrews, he said to these people, keep turning up at church, but I might die. Keep turning up at church. Right, so I don't know what he would say to me if I said, if he said, keep turning up at church and I said, yeah, but the kids are a hassle. I think he would still say, keep turning up at church, right? And the reality is we've got to keep doing what God says. And there's some general rules, right? There's some general rules in the Bible. There's the 10 commandments, don't do killing, don't do stealing, don't do sleeping with other people's wives. There's a whole lot of general rules, right? They're really easy. Just read them and just do those ones. They're really easy. Then there's some really tricky rules where the things that you know, you just know for you, you should do this or you should not do that. You just know, right? Those are the ones that matter. They really, really matter. The other ones matter too, but they're easier, right? But the ones where it's like, you probably need to smarten up your attitude at work. No one else knows whether you're doing it or not. It's not obvious, but you know, right? Or you probably shouldn't be talking like that with your friends, you probably shouldn't be gossiping like that. You probably shouldn't be complaining like that. You probably shouldn't spend your money on that sort of stuff. You probably shouldn't waste that much time watching YouTube. These are personals, right? <laughs> right only I know when God tells me you shouldn't waste so much time watching TV. Only I know that, right? And so who's gonna make sure I'm doing it? Hopefully, here's hoping, right? But the reality is that the, the, the starting point to see God begin to move in a new way or again in our life or into the next season of our life is to get focused on what's God saying for us to do right now. And it might be something as simple as make 180 trips with 10 litres of water. Right? It's unlikely to be anything more interesting than that. I'm sorry. Most of the things that God tells us to do are really, really boring. You need to get more sleep. You probably need some exercise. These are things God's told me. Probably need to eat better, Jordan. You're in your 40s now if you want to still be alive in your 50s. Stop eating all those wasted. What I've done is I've stopped eating vegetables because they're very bad for me, right? That's not even a joke. It's the truth. We've got to do what God says, right? What's God telling us to do? Sometimes there's simple instructions like these ones. Right? Sometimes sometimes they're much more personal. You know, what's the last thing God told you to do? Did Did you do it yet? If you haven't yet, that's really good because you don't need to hear from God. That's quite hard. You just need to do what He said. That's the easy part, the human part of it, right? Once we do what God says, we then need to fill up the jars. In Matthew chapter 7, it talks about um, if we can hear God's voice and do what He says, then our life is stronger. When storms come, we're more likely to stand up. If we hear what God says and then don't do what He says, then our life is weak. And when bad things happen, we'll collapse. Right? It's pretty simple. In Matthew chapter 7, we say there's a song for it. You should have learned it in Sunday school. If you went to a half-decent Sunday school, you would have learned a song about building a house on a rock. If not, this lady here in the green dress in the second row, she'll be able to teach it to us afterwards. Who's not heard it and would like someone to teach it? Yeah, in the foyer afterwards. You've, you're volunteering to do that. I reckon you could sing quite well because you looked excited when I mentioned that song. <laughs> no, she's not looking that keen. Anyhow... The next thing we are got to do is we've got to ill up all the jars, right? That what's missing is the word, is the letter. I made this presentation myself. So we need to fill up all the jars. And this is a photograph that was taken at the time. Right? So some people don't realise there were cameras available at the time. And some people also don't realise that people always held their heads in weird positions in biblical times, Right? And they walked with their legs in funny angles. Anyhow, this is a photograph from the time. Uh, this is actually from Jesus' Instagram. <laughs> have you noticed that famous people on Instagram <clears throat> always have someone else to take the photos? Yeah. Yeah. And people like me on Instagram are taking photos of other things. But famous people, it's always them. So this is Jesus' Instagram. Uh, and it would, have been, uh, it would have been John himself taking the photo. Anyhow, we're going to fill up all the jars. You've got to fill them all up. How many of the jars do we have to fill up? All of the jars. How many jars are there? Six. Why are there six jars? Were there six jars? John's writing this story 60 years later. Why does he care how many jars? Why did he say there were six jars? I doubt he could even remember how many jars there were. Why has he used the number six? Come on, biblical scholars. What's the number six mean in the Bible? The number of man is six, six, six. What's? How many days do you work? Genesis chapter one. We work hard as men. I mean that in the generic term as a species, men and women, right? We work hard as people, right? We work hard for how many days? Six days, right? And then we rest for seven and seven is the miracle, 7 is the blessing of God. 7 is the completion of God, right? But you don't have the com- you don't experience the miracle and then work for 6 days. You work the 6 days and then God does the bit, the rest, right? There's a scripture in Proverbs that says the revealed things belong to man and the hidden things belong to God. So, do you know what Jesus does? Jesus does miracles. In this story, Jesus turns water into wine. Can you do that? No. But what do the people do? What do the humans do? The humans carry buckets of water from the well and pour them into jars. Can you do that? Yes, right? Here's the thing. If we do the thing that we're supposed to do, we open up the possibility of Jesus doing the thing that He's supposed to do. Okay, so students, university students, okay, later on this year, you're gonna be praying for a miracle in your exam results, okay? I can guarantee, I'm prophesying that you'll be at exam time when we say, who who needs God to do something this week? There'll be hands up amongst the students. I need a miracle result, you know? Jesus turns C's into A's, right? He does that, He does that, right? But do you know what He's looking for? He's looking for the students who've been carrying water all year, right? But I'm not very smart, good, then the miracle's gonna look even better, right? But as long as you're smart enough to do what you can do, you open up the possibility for Jesus to do what He can do, right? Think about the jars. One of the jars is definitely work. Are you, what are you, some people are praying for a new job whilst turning up late to the old one. I'm not, that's not a prophecy, not a word of knowledge, right? That's just my experience. I've done that myself, right? Some people are praying, my my workplace is so negative, right? And then they talk really badly about how negative their workplace is. Right? Come on, you we've got to turn up. We've got to fill up the jar at work. Is that, could you work harder? Could you work with a better attitude? Could you bring a servant heart to your workplace? Right? I know that I can always lift my game in that space. Family's another jar, for sure. Your marriage is a jar, for sure. Some people are praying for a miracle in their wife. Oh God, I pray transform her into someone who's not such a pain in the neck, right? But actually, that's not the right thing to be praying. The right thing to be thinking is, God, show me how, to, how I fill this up. What do I need to do? What role can I play? What are the basic human things that I can do to make this better? You know, as a, as a church, we pray this morning for people to get saved. We pray this morning for people to find Jesus, to find the hope that we've found, to find the love that we've found, right? And do you know what Jesus wants to do? Jesus wants to extend the Gospel throughout the city. What do we need to do? We probably need to be friendly, Talk to people, yeah. get to know our neighbors. Like, is God going to save your neighbor? Yeah. Wouldn't it be better if God could maybe point to you for your neighbor? Say, this is what a Christian looks like. Yeah. And for it to be a good example of a Christian. Yeah, it's good. What if God wants to save your workmates, but God can't use you as an example when he's speaking to your workmate? Oh, okay, anyway, that's a bit, that was a bit rough. Just <laughs> turn to the person next to you and say, it's okay. It's okay, you'll be, it's okay. Just take a deep breath. He's nearly finished. Okay, so here's the trick. It can get, what I've just said already can sound like a lot of hard work, a lot of religious obligation. Carry your 1800 litres of water, fill up the jars. But here's the trick, is is where does the water come from? It comes from the well. Come on, Jesus, what Jesus already promised us that if we believe in Him, that out of our belly... Flows rivers of living water. So when it comes to filling up the jars of water at work and in your family and all the areas of responsibility that we have, where does the water come from? We don't have to go to the well and get it. We have to go to the well and get it. The real trick is, can we live from the inside out? Is there something happening within us? You know, one of the things we need to do is probably set aside some time to pray each day. Right. Oh. Well, you don't have to, but it's really hard to fill up the jars if there's no well, right? Does that make sense? And it's actually a work. Here's the trick. Even in our human religious obligations, the grace of God supports us. Do you get that? But we still have to do our human obligations, but it's the grace of God that does it. It never comes down to our hard work. It's always the grace of God because it's the grace of God that helps us to have the attitude that we need to have in the situations that we're facing. Okay, moving on. Point number next, we need to draw it out. See, some people in this room have been feeling 100% comfortable so far because it's all been about uh, obligation and diligence. I'm thinking of people like Pastor Desiree. It's all about getting it done, getting it done on time. For me, that part of the sermon, I felt very uncomfortable because that's not my main thing. Diligence, not my main game, right? The next thing is this though, is it's not about just filling up all the jars. You still have to draw out one glass. Do you know, one of my, one of my transformative, transformative experiences in my life has been Revolution Tour where we would spend $300,000 across a two-week window as a movement of churches. We'd travel from Invercargill to sometimes as far north as Kytaya. In the two-week window, we'd do something like 200 or 250 school presentations and we'd do concerts at night with tens of thousands of people making decisions to open their heart to Jesus But I was never interested in all of that water. I was always interested in one moment. Always I prayed for a testimony of one person's life that got transformed because we were there in the moment. And there is a story from Dunedin from quite a few years ago now where um, the school program went to someone's school. She wasn't even at school that day, this person. But then she was at home and she'd actually literally tied a noose up in her own garage, right? It's someone who, you know, 11 years old, and this was going to be her second attempt at suicide. And her friends from school said, after school came past, what are you doing tonight? We're going into the town hall. There's a concert thing on. Some guy from America, Reggie Dabs. It's going to be awesome. So this girl, Jazz Thornton, came along to the Dunedin Revolution tour, that concert was paid for by your tithes and offerings. Yeah. Right? And it was hugely expensive. <laughs> right? But Jazz Thornton was in the room yeah. on one of those nights. And she decided that she would open her heart to Jesus. And she also saw Reggie on the stage talking about the transformation power of the gospel. And she said, I want to do that. I'm not just not going to, not just, Kill myself, I'm also going to grow up to be someone who impacts other people's lives. Jazz didn't get connected in church, but she made a decision to open her heart to Jesus. Years later, five more suicide attempts later, being committed to the hospital against her will, police raiding her house, taking the Panadol from her. Her life experience was tough for five more years, but she got connected at church in Auckland. Got to know Esther Elliott and thought, I've met you before. Where did she meet Esther before? At the town hall in Dunedin when she was 11 years old. Right? And God transforms her life again. You know, Jazz has just finished recording her book for Amazon. She's got a global book deal through Penguin, I think it is. This year she's not in New Zealand much because she's consulting with the UN around mental health and well-being. She produced the TV shows, the movie, sorry, uh, Jessica's Tree, which has actually helped thousands and thousands and thousands of people in this whole space. Why? Because in a moment, God did something in someone's life. Right? Got to, yeah, there's all the water. We've got to fill up all the jars. Right? But we've also got to be brave enough in moments to draw out a miracle, to draw out a moment. You've got to fill the jar up at work. But when your workmate asks you a question, You've got to come through with a, with, a, with a word. You've got to come through and say something. Do you know? One of the reasons the Revolution Tour happened, because in the 1960s, my grandmother's neighbor heard about my grandmother's cancer diagnosis and leaned over the fence one day when they were both hanging out washing and said, I go to a church who believes in the healing power of Jesus. Right? I, I wouldn't be, I'm not a Christian today without that lady leaning over her fence. Right, someone brave enough to not just be full of Christianity, but to draw a little bit of out and pass it over the fence. Yeah, we've got to be diligent on the one hand, right? We've got to fill up all those jars on the one hand, and on the other hand, we've got to be brave enough to draw it out because God moves in moments of time. God moves. In. There was one. Millisecond, somewhere between the drawing out of that single glass and the presenting of it bravely to the master. What's going to happen to that servant if he presents the master a a, a glass full of dishwater? Is it brave to do that? Is it trusting you? Sometimes we've got to realise, hey, we know where it comes from. It's just ordinary old us, right? Just ordinary old you. It's ordinary old me. But sometimes we, just ordinary old us can draw something out and pass it over the fence and a miracle can happen in somebody's life. Amen? Amen. Hey, music team, why don't you come? Because it's 11.24, we need to finish in six minutes. Exactly. I'm very diligent, as you know. Yeah, yeah. But hey, I reckon there's two things I want to pray for just before we wrap up the service. I think there's a bunch of people in this room that you know you actually need some help around this whole idea of diligence. You're pretty good at getting the jars to 80% full. But if it's only 80% full, what happens when you need the miracle? Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> right. right? 80% full is not going to get, we need to get things full. Oh, it's like, you know, it's like when my 15 year old does the lawns. Okay. Oh, it's done. Okay, can you do that bit there? Oh. And you can do that bit there. And you can do that. It's not done until it's done. You know, oh no, I'm part of the church. Are you part of the church? Like, are you really part of it? You know, when the All Blacks go to win the World Cup, do you know what they don't? They don't don't ask themselves this. They don't say, "What's the easiest way we could do this? What's the minimum expectation for World Cup winners?" Well, we could probably train once a week and maybe pull it off. Whereas we go, well, what's the minimum expectation? Well, we could turn up at church every now and then. Do you know what? God's grace will cover you. I want to assure you of that. But why wouldn't you just say, rather than that, actually take a winning attitude and say, what else could I do? Is there something more I could do to fill this up? Is there somewhere else I could serve? Is there is there another way to approach this with even more passion, even more vision, even more expectation, right? So that when the moment comes, when I dip in to present something, I've actually got something that God can use, right? So I want us to pray. So um. We'll pray there's two things you can respond around, I reckon. Well there's you can respond to the Holy Spirit, however, but I think that God's leading us. I let's, let's ask the Holy Spirit to challenge us, grow us, mobilize us in this area of diligence. Filling up all of the jars. But you know, after that we also need to be brave. Whereas some some of us are probably in this room with the jars all full, but not quite ready to pass some over the next door neighbour's fence. Not quite ready to actually be open about our faith at work. Not quite ready to reach out to friends and family maybe who need to know Jesus. Not quite ready just to offer what we've got. Partly because we know where it comes from. It's just it's just ordinary old us. What have we really got to offer? What we've got to offer is the things that God's done in us, blah, 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 the, the glory of God in us. And as we dip it out, we know where it comes from. But we trust in that God will turn our encouraging Word or our phone call to catch up, or our coffee with a workmate. God's gonna turn those little moments into something that's miraculous and transformative. Amen. That we could live a life that's full and a life that's overflowing. Amen. Do you know what? Uh, Why don't we do it like this? Let's all stand up. And first of all, I'm gonna pray around this idea of diligence. So if you wanna respond, just lift up your hands and I'm gonna pray. Holy Spirit, I just thank You in this place right now. Lord, I just thank You that Each and every person in this place, oh God, you've called us for something important. That you've decided for us that we'd be able to do something significant. Lord, each and every one of us is crafted in your hand, oh God, for every person in Moskiel. Each and every one, oh God, you've designed them for a purpose. You've designed them for something real. And you've designed them for something that's uniquely them. Lord God, that each person in this room, You've created them for something that only they can do. And Lord, we pray that You'd help us, Lord God, that out of our valleys would flow that river of living water that fills up the jars. There wouldn't be hard work. It wouldn't be, it wouldn't be breaking rocks, Lord God, but it would be the flow of your spirit in us, Lord God, that would allow us to fill the jars. We pray, Lord God, those of us who've been prayerless, we repent and we choose again to pray. Those of us have been passionless, we repent and we choose to bring our enthusiasm again. Lord, those of us who've been vacant and distant and hurt, Lord God, we open our heart to your healing power in Jesus' name. Awesome. What I want us to do is, is uh, I want us to just put your hand on the shoulder of the person next to you. Maybe grab their hand if you know them better. Put your arm on their shoulder if they look like the sort of person who would tolerate that. You're going to have to be the judge. Just move around, make it happen. And I want us to pray for each other. I want to, because I think we, the braver we are, the more opportunities we can create for God to do miracles. It's not we know where it comes from, but we just wouldn't real us. But we we need God to do miracles. Do you know this city needs God to do miracles? Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 was at a, I was speaking at, a, at an event with District Commander for Canterbury the, of the police. And he said this, In Canterbury, 54% of what they do is responding to family harm events, domestic violence and child abuse. The next 22% of what they do is attending suicides or suicide attempts. So roughly 80% of what the police do in New Zealand cities and towns is dealing with people who have fallen apart, run out of options, run out of hope. They're doing our job. It's the, the church exists for those statistics as well. right? We, we, don't have comp- we can't compel people by law. We don't have a taser or a police car. right? What, we've, what have we got? Full jars. And who are we? People of faith. Can we do can we do everything? No, but we can do something that God can do and make something big out of, it. amen? Yeah, let, I'll pray on the mic, but why don't you pray for the person on the left, pray for the person on the right. Let's be people who are brave. Let's be people who can draw it out in a moment of time when it needs us to say something. Lord God, I pray for this congregation, for, for those in, in, in um, mosque Lord, we pray that we'd be the sort of people who can draw it out, Lord God. We'd be brave enough to say the thing that needs to be said, to text the person that needs to receive a message of encouragement. Lord, that we'd be the sort of people who can reach out, make a difference, and make an impact. Lord God, we thank you. It's not about some famous Christian somewhere, it's about the people of God trusting in you, Jesus, and your work in us and in your work through us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this message recorded at Equippus Church toneden. We pray it blessed you. For more information, please visit equipperschurch.com.